you're on. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much for allowing me to be here again, and I'm glad that you came back. How many of you were here last night? Pretty much anybody new here tonight? You weren't here last night. Okay, super. Well, you'll be especially benefited by the handout. I hope that all of you received a handout if you wanted one. Were there enough to go around? Yes. Okay, super. Otherwise, maybe some couples could share or whatever. Uh, I would like you to open to Matthew 28. The Russians have a saying. It goes, Pavtarenia mat uchenia, which means repetition is the mother of learning. Very quickly, I'm going to review what we covered last night from Matthew 28, and then I want you to notice what it does not say. So take your Bibles and open to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Last night, we looked at the four alls of the Great Commission. Four times in rapid succession, Jesus Christ uses the word all when he gives the Great Commission, and that's rare. In fact, I think it's only here in the New Testament. Starting at verse 18, Matthew 28, 18, it says, and Jesus came and spoke to them. Them is not just the 11 disciples. Them is probably all of his disciples. I won't take time to prove that. But Jesus came and spoke to all of his disciples saying, here's the first all. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And last night, we just talked about the fact that that is all authority. It's universal authority. And by application, we have no authority to not do what Christ commands us to do here. We don't have the authority to not be involved in the Great Commission one way or another. So that's the first all. Jesus then applies that universal authority by saying, go therefore and make disciples. There's just one command here. It's make disciples. It's as you go, therefore. Therefore, since all authority has been given to Christ, as you go through life, make disciples. Jeremy asked me last night, he goes, "Uh, what tense is make disciples in? I said, I didn't look that up. He says, it's aorist. But we kind of agree it's ingressive here. Start making disciples. And it applies in every generation, right? Get making disciples. Get going. And it is a continuous process. So the second all comes after this. It says, go therefore make disciples of all the nations. Last night, by way of application, we talked about the fact that this one commission, make disciples, it applies to everyone you meet in life. Wherever you go, wherever you live, wherever you work, Uh, wherever you go to school, this applies. Every individual you meet is an opportunity either for evangelism or discipleship. Sometimes it's hard to tell which, right? Sometimes people profess to know Christ, but they're not Christians. I was that way for many years. I professed to be a believer in Jesus Christ, and by the grace of God, a very bold evangelist in his 80s met me, and through a series of questions, he quickly diagnosed my spiritual condition and told me I wasn't a believer. And I I did not like him that day, but I love him now. And six months later, when I became a Christian, I said, Roy, I didn't like you that day, but I love you, brother. Thank you for confronting me in my unbelief. So the second all is all the nations, and by application, everyone we meet is an opportunity for evangelism or discipleship. Notice the third all. Uh, Jesus says, verse 19, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is a reference to evangelism. Okay, And this is not a, a conference on evangelism. We're looking at the second half of the Great Commission, which is discipleship. It says, teaching them, teaching baptized believers to observe or keep or guard all things that I have commanded you. Now, that's the second half of the Great Commission. That's our focus tonight. It's the, it's the discipleship part of the Great Commission teaching them to observe or keep all things that I have commanded to you, commanded you. We talked last night that by way of application, Jesus does not simply mean his commandments. You don't take a red-letter Bible, highlight all the imperatives, and say, oh, this is what I need to teach. This is a reference to what you have in your Bible, right? All that I commanded you refers to everything that Jesus has instructed to his disciples, which goes all the way back to the Old Testament, because if you recall... When Christ came and preached the Sermon on the Mount, he said, do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. Right? It did not come to destroy or to abolish, but to fulfill. And Jesus, time and time again, kept referring his disciples, even at the end of his ministry, Luke 24. Right? He took them back to the the law, the prophets, and the writings, and showed them that all of those speak concerning Jesus Christ. So now think about this. Just these first three alls. We have no authority to not be part of the Great Commission because it's given with all the authority of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission concerns all the people that we will ever meet in this life, every individual. 
The Great Commission is the application of everything we have in the Bible. And finally, the fourth all is, Jesus says, And lo, or behold, I am with you all the days. In other words, this is what Christ is doing. Jesus is making disciples today. How's he doing it? We just sang it. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Right? Christ in you is still in the business of making disciples. He's still building his church. So my focus tonight is on one-on-one discipleship. That is not the only way to do discipleship, but it's a great way to do discipleship, and I want to encourage you, urge you, equip you, hopefully inspire you and motivate you and and give you tips and suggestions on how to do one-on-one discipleship. Now, I don't know if this is... I didn't rank necessarily... One of my most favorite things to do is to study God's word. A second most favorite thing to do is preach, and probably third is one-on-one discipleship. I mean, I do love to study God's word, to just spend hours digging in, trying to understand what God is saying, what he means by what he says, and how it applies to my life. And second to that is getting to share that with God's people on a Sunday morning. I love Sunday mornings. I love when God's people are gathered. I I get excited. I, I can't wait to share with you what God has shown me this week. And each week is new, right? But probably third, in terms of things I love to do in ministry, is meeting with men, I don't meet with women one-on-one, meeting with men one-on-one for the purpose of discipleship. And so I do want to give you some ways to do this. Now notice here what it does not say. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Does anyone have... A two-letter word, B-Y, in the text. Take a look. Does anyone see that? By, B-Y. Anybody have that? It's not there. Well, by points to how, right? He doesn't say teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you by holding a Sunday school class, by meeting with them one-on-one at a coffee shop once a week for 50 weeks, by reading a book together. He does not tell you how. Now, it's not that he has given no indication in the Gospel of Matthew or in his life. So let me ask you this. If you had to answer very concisely how Jesus made disciples, he did it by what? What would you say? Jesus made disciples by... How did he do it? Okay, told them follow me. Gave an example. Good, that would be part of it. Very good. By developing a relationship, and then what? Or as part of that? Okay, by teaching them. He walked with them. He walked with them. I mean, you're you're all right around it. I think I actually heard somebody say by spending time with them. You can't do this without spending time with someone. And you can spend time with somebody via FaceTime, via you know, Zoom or online, but there's really no substitute for just being with someone, spending time with them face-to-face and saying, how are things going? What's new? And then having some plan for how you're going to help them. So if you look at your handout, it starts at the top, a dozen ways to do one-on-one discipleship. Uh, last night, we defined what is discipleship. It is teaching baptized believers to observe what Christ has commanded. That's what discipleship is, right? We talked about the importance, and I just addressed it again tonight, the importance we see from the Great Commission. This commission is given to us with all the authority of Jesus Christ. It's time for us to talk about methods, and specifically one-on-one. Last night, I talked about various methods in the church, but tonight, we're going to talk about a dozen ways to do discipleship. So turn over to the other side. Um, for homework, you can fill in the blanks up at the top of the second side where it says evangelism equals, discipleship equals, counseling equals. In other words, what is evangelism? Write your definition of evangelism up there. What is discipleship? Write your best definition for discipleship. What is counseling? But we're down where it says a dozen ways to do discipleship, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight, all right? Now, just before that, I have Colossians 1, 28, 29, which just look at on your handout. And I want to ask you, what is the implication? So I'll read it, and I'll give a little emphasis to hint at the implication. Let's see if you can discern what it is. Him we preach. This is Paul talking about himself and his ministry team. Him, Christ, we, 
I and those that minister with me, we preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete or mature in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, I emphasize something in there. What did I emphasize and what's the implication? I emphasized every man. It's repeated three times. What implication could you draw from that? Start a sentence that begins with every man. Every individual, what? Go, go simple. Every individual is? Okay. I don't think you could get that from here. That's true. You, you, you want to try to draw something. So Paul says, look, we're, we're um, warning every individual. We're teaching every individual. We're seeking to present every individual mature in Christ. To us, every individual is important. Every individual matters to us. Every individual is important to us. We actually don't want any individual left behind. We don't want to appear before Christ and have some individual not mature in Christ. That's the implication. He doesn't say every individual is important, but by the way he describes his ministry, he's communicating that every single individual matters to us in ministry. I hope that's true of you. Like, I would love if, if when the Lord comes, I would be able to say, Lord, I have sought to, not just by myself, but I have sought to get to where every individual in this congregation is mature in Christ. I have urged them to come to church. I've urged them to come to Sunday school. I've urged them to come to Bible study. I've offered to meet with them. I've offered that maybe my wife would meet with them or one of the ladies in the church. We have tried in every way to make sure that every individual in this church has an opportunity to grow in Christ. And if they didn't take advantage of those opportunities, that's on them. You know, my hands are clean. That's a great objective. But you know what? That's not a one-man job. The Great Commission is to the whole church, right? It's to all of us. And so all of us here together, all of us here tonight who have sacrificed a Saturday night, and in most cases a Friday and a Saturday night, to talk about discipleship, we all ought to be impressed with the fact that this is what Christ is doing, that everyone is important, and we ought to be involved. So let's talk now about a dozen ways to do one-on-one discipleship. They're real simple, and as I go through these, you know, I'm not just going to run through the list. I'll give you some tips uh, ways that I do this, uh, some hints, etc. All right. So number one, and I've given them each kind of a little name, super simple, Bible reading discipleship. Boy, it doesn't get any easier than that, right? You know, hey, let's meet once a week and let's just spend 30 minutes reading the Bible together. Great. And when, we're, when we start, we'll pray. And when we're done, we'll talk about what we saw in there and we'll pray. Well, Okay, is that discipleship? Sure. I mean, you are, you're, yeah, as a minimum, you're teaching them to observe what Christ has commanded, which is to read the word, to be in the word, right? To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So at least you're teaching them Colossians 3.16 by example. That'd be a very, very simple way to do discipleship. How many parents do we have here with kids still at home? Okay, I won't ask for a show of hand, but do you read the Bible with them? I mean, that's super simple discipleship. So actually, I'd like to give you a quick demo. I'd ask, I'd like the kids to come up front. Would you kids come up front? Come on up front real quick. Come on up front. We're just going to sit on the, on the step here, all right? And I'm going to give everyone seven steps for leading family devotions Re- really quick, all right? Have a seat there. Seven steps for reading or for doing family devotions. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, I'm going to use uh, one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 19. Let's assume it's the 19th of the month. Uh, am I messing up going away from your phone here? No, you're fine. You sure? Yeah. All right. I can take it with me. Is this recording? Is this what's recording? Okay. All right. So I'm just going to give you all the seven steps for leading family devotions. I posted this on our church website. I gave it to all of our people in our church. And it was amazing how many parents said, thank you. This is so helpful. But it's super simple. So seven steps for leading family devotions. Step number one, open your Bible with them. Right? Have a Bible. Sorry, I left my up here. Have a Bible and open the Bible with them so that they always know that you're teaching them out of this divine inspired holy book. There's no book like this one, right? 
So, all right, kids, today's the 19th. It's really the first of the month. We're going to pretend it's the 19th. And uh, we're going to look at Proverbs 19 today, all right? And, and, of course, these ones are old enough to have their own Bibles, right? So I'd be like, all right, you guys got your Bibles? All right, now try to find Proverbs 19. Of course, remember, open right to the middle. It's like Psalms, and right after that's Proverbs. All right, we're going to look at Proverbs 19 today. And we're not going to go through the whole chapter. Step one is open your Bible. Step two is pray. Let's pray right before we looked at it. You ready? You, what do you want to pray? Would, one, would you want to pray with, for us? Sure. Yeah, say a prayer for us. Um, dear God, uh, thank you for this night tonight that we can um, come and gather here to worship you. Um, thank you for Pastor John coming to preach for us. And please help and please let his preaching honor you tonight. Um, Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Excellent. Wow. Praise the Lord. Step three, read the Bible. Like open the Bible, pray, read the Bible. Right? Read the Bible. So we're going to look at Proverbs 19.2. It says, also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. Step four, ask questions. All right? Now, it says it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. Question number one. What is it not good for a soul to be without? Knowledge. Knowledge. Right? That's a nice, easy softball right over the plate. You should be able to hit that on a home run. All right? So what do you think? Why would that not be good? Can you think of why it might not be good to be without knowledge? Like, what's something that you do know? Do you know how to treat your dog? Yeah. What if you didn't know how to treat your dog? Then she probably wouldn't really like me. That's right. You would only maybe know how to mistreat a dog. Right? So it's not going to be without knowledge. Like you should have knowledge how to treat your dog, how to care for your dog, how to feed the dog. Right? There's actually a proverb that says, the righteous man cares for his beast. And you guys have a beast. I saw a picture of that beast. <laughs> Pre-haircut. Right? So it's, it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. You know? And this is God telling us, that it's not good for us to be without knowledge. So we don't want to be that way. And then there's a second line. It says, and he sins who hastens with his feet. So what do you think? Is that against running in church? No. Do you know what it means to hasten? you know what that word means? Hasten. Like to be faster about something? Okay, be fast about something. Um, this is actually a proverb that relates to decision making. Let's say mom and dad. Look, no, let's pick on dad. Yeah, let's just pick on dad. Let's say that dad is really interested in a new, what? What do you think he'd be interested in? A new tractor? A uh, big truck. A truck. Interested in a new truck, right? <laughs> and he has no knowledge about what trucks are good and what trucks are bad. And so with no knowledge, he would go down to the Dodge dealership. That's where people with no knowledge go up. <laughs> so I'm going to get in trouble with somebody there. All right. So he goes down to the Dodge dealership and he sees this Dodge giant thing and it's $70,000, right? And he's like, man, I know Amanda loves me. She'll understand. And he also has no knowledge that the price on the sticker could be negotiated. Right? He doesn't know that. He's like, well, how much is this truck? And the man comes out. He goes, why, this truck, look at the sticker. It's $70,000 fully equipped out the door, including everything. And he says, wow, that's a lot of money. I don't have that money. And they go, well, what would it take to get you in this truck today? And the man says, we could get your payment down to $492. And dad comes home, drives up in his brand new truck. Right? Has he made a mistake? Ask mom. Mom, has he made a mistake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> massive, massive mistake, right? So listen to this song. Listen to this proverb again. It says, it's not good for a soul to be without knowledge. He should know, like, what's a good truck, what's a bad truck. He should know that that price could be negotiated. He should know that you could buy a used one for a lot, lot less with not that many miles and save probably $50,000, right? He should know that you should talk to your wife before you ever buy a truck, like, and make sure she's fully on board. He should know that you should never go onto the lot of a dealership not prepared to buy. Like, he should know these things, right? And the second line says, and he sins who hastens with his feet. To hasten with your feet means to be hasty, to make a decision quickly without the, all the knowledge and the time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So we asked some questions. We got them involved, right? Number five is reward right answers, which we're not going to do. Like, oh, great answer, and we might have some treats or something, depending on the kids. Number six is sum up, which I just did, sum up the lesson. And number seven would be pray in light of what you learned. 
So I'm going to pray for us. You ready? Lord, help us not to be hasty. I especially pray for the husbands in this room to not be hasty. And I pray for kids too, to not make decisions too quickly. We pray that you'd help us to be wise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, off you go. Great job. So in our house, a little, no, in our house, we had family Bible time after breakfast, because that's the time it worked for all of us to meet together. And that's what we did for like 18 years. You know, as they got older, it got a little tougher. But it wasn't a long Bible time. It was a 20-minute, what do you think, honey, 20-minute Bible time or so? It wasn't long. I never wanted the kids to be like, oh, no, here goes dad again, Bible time. No, 15, 20-minute Bible time. They always brought their Bibles. I would always ask them questions. And by doing that, I was teaching them how to study God's Word. So read the Bible discipleship, right? Ask questions. Get people into the Word. Um, Back to the list. That's number one. Number two, method of doing discipleship. Table talk discipleship. What is that? That's just talking at the table about what you've learned. That's another way to do it in your home. We have a table talk group on Mondays in our church where a group of five to seven to ten people gather around a table, pray, and we say, all right, let's pull out our bulletin from yesterday. Title of yesterday's sermon was this. This is the text we went through. Let's read the text again. Uh, Here are the main points from the sermon that we heard. And then I have in our bulletin a list of questions to guide them as they discuss. And they just talk about how can we apply what we learned yesterday. Well, you can do that with anyone, right? I know people in our church who meet together on Mondays outside of Table Talk, and they just talk about what they heard on Sunday, whether in Sunday school or whether in worship service. So this is a way for you to do one-on-one discipleship. Uh, you who are, some of you are a little older here, right? If you've never done, and some, I've met older people, they say, I've never done one-on-one discipleship. That's okay. Find a younger person in the church and say, hey, would you be interested in getting together once a week for 45 minutes just to pray and talk about what we heard in church on Sunday. And of course, along the way, you're going to say, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? What are some things you're struggling with? All of that happens along the way. But just meet and have a goal that you're either going to read the Bible together or you're going to go over what you heard on Sunday. Super simple, right? It's not complex. And it's a huge blessing. Third, tag along discipleship. Uh, This... You've probably heard of the police doing ride-alongs. I don't know if they still do that, but it used to be that if you were wanting to become a police officer one day, depending on the circumstances, they could take you on a ride-along to see what kinds of things they do. I think, didn't one of our boys do a ride-along? Yeah, I don't know if they both did. But they actually went out with a police officer on a beat and saw some of the kinds of things they do. Well, when I was in seminary, I was uh, only, I was saved in 92. I went to seminary in 97. So I was five years old in the Lord, a little early for seminary. And I met this guy named Don Green. And I'd heard a lot about him. He was a big reason for how I got to seminary. And uh, anyways, I said, would you be willing to disciple me? He said, boy, I don't know if I can, time-wise. He was uh, John MacArthur's right-hand man at Grace to You. He had all kinds of responsibilities. He was traveling. He was answering all the letters that got written to John MacArthur back then. So he was constantly writing things. He himself was a seminary student working as THM. He said, I don't know if I can do it. I said, well, okay. So a couple of months went by, and I didn't hear anything more from him. And then he called me one night, and he said, hey, uh, what are you doing this Saturday? I said, "Uh, well, I mean, you know, normal stuff. I got exams, but why do you ask? Well, I wondered if you could tag along on a trip I need to make. So I talked to Denise, and our boys were probably eight and nine back then. I don't know. And she said, yeah, I'll, I'll watch the boys, and sure, whatever you do. He said, okay, I'll pick you up at like 6 o'clock in the morning. where We have like an hour drive, and I don't remember all the details. <clears throat> what I do remember is he said, be wearing a suit and tie. Okay. So on the way there, he said, I'm, we're headed to a funeral. I've been asked to do a funeral for a man who was a Mormon his entire life. And his sister is a Christian, and she asked the family if I could come and do the funeral. I said, wow. He said, so how would you do a funeral for a man who was a Mormon his entire life? I said, I have no idea. Like I say, I was five years old in the Lord. I was 32. I had no clue, and I thought, I'm, I'm glad I'm just tagging along. But I'll tell you what, I remember it to this day. Don Green got up and I was like, what is he going to do? He said, oh, I'm so thankful to be here today and I'm glad that you all have come. You know, it's better to be in the house of mourning than to be in the house of feasting. 
because this is the end of all men and the living should take it to heart. That's from Ecclesiastes 7. I use that almost every funeral today because I'm like, I remember that from Don Green. And then he had done homework to try and find out all that he could about the man who had passed away. And he said, you know, we all know that, I mean, I don't remember the details. Like, we all know that George was a great fisherman. He loved to fly fish. And we know that he was an outdoorsman. And I, and I heard that he also, and he just went, and he went on and on about all that he had learned about George from people in the family. And then he said, you know, George is the kind of man I wish I had gotten to know earlier in life. I just, I really wish I had gotten to know him. Because I myself love, and he just showed how he, he hadn't known this person, but he said that he wished he had. And then he said, you know, I know for certain that if George could come back today, he'd want you to hear what I have to tell you. And then he preached the gospel. I'm like, that was masterful. So that was tag-along discipleship. One time, one meeting, he took me along on a funeral. All right, well, you can do that. Right, you can do that. You could say, hey, I'm going to be going to visit Mrs. Smith, who's in the hospital. I want you to tag along. And I just want you to observe and give an example of how you visit someone in the hospital. Show good bedside manner. Show what it looks like to love somebody who's ill. Show what it looks like to give comfort, to, to teach the word of God to somebody from the bedside. Right? I call that tag-along discipleship. That's, it's, you're not making a long-term commitment there. It's one time. Next. Fourth. Question and answer discipleship, super easy. Just meet to discuss questions. I reached out to a lady in our church who I know has been uh, discipling ladies for many years. And I said, what do you do for discipleship? She said, I always do Q&A and I, I'm almost always doing conflict resolution. It's like her specialty. So like, wow, I said, that's good to know because she's like a, a trouble a problem solver, a troubleshooter. There's actually a guy in the radio called the troubleshooter. Um, as a, like a radio program. So this lady in our church, what she does for discipleship is she simply meets with people who have troubles and she does Q&A. She asks them lots of questions and then she tries to help them out of their problem. You can do that. Great way to do discipleship. Fifth, read a good book, Discipleship. It's my least favorite. Ask Jeremy for details. <laughs> but but I, I was meeting with a guy in our church for discipleship. We met for like a year. And at the end of that year, he said, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with Genesis 1. I just don't know that I believe that God created the heavens and the earth in seven literal days, like six days and rested on the seventh. And I said, well, that's what the Bible teaches. And he said, well, I need help there because I'm really struggling. You know, I've, I've learned a lot about evolution and scientific theory, and I just, I need help there. And I said, well, would you want to read John MacArthur's book, Battle for the Beginning? I heard it's a really good book on Genesis 1. He said, yeah. So we spent about a year reading Battle for the Beginning. How do we do it? We'd meet for an hour. He'd read a paragraph. I'd read a paragraph. I'd say, stop anywhere you want to and ask questions. He'd read a paragraph. Oh, what about this right here? We'd talk about it, move on. I'd read a paragraph. And when an hour was up, uh, put a sticky note in the book and up. Uh, we'll pick it up there next week. No homework. Just we're reading through a book together. We're stopping, doing Q&A, and then moving on. Well, when we were done with that book, he said, I really enjoyed that. Could we read another book? I said, sure. What do you think? Should we ask some other guys to join us? He said, yeah. So we had it at the same time the ladies' Bible study was being held. So guys that were dropping off their wives for lady Bible, ladies' Bible study would join us for Read a Good Book Discipleship. We did that for like three, four years, I think. And we just read through good Christian books. After a while, guys were like, let's read some good Spurgeon sermons. So then we were reading Spurgeon sermons. Great. Great way to do discipleship. Super simple. Anyone can do it. You don't have to be further ahead than the other person. You're discipling one another. Let's read a good Christian book together. Number six, help me out, discipleship. Uh, there was a time when I think I, was, I had a broken hand or probably from dirt biking. I had a broken bone, probably from dirt biking. And I invited the Roberts boys over. And I needed to change the oil in my vehicle, and I wanted to just spend some time with them on discipleship. I said, hey, you guys are teenagers. Would you be willing to help me change the oil in my truck? Sure. Do you know how to change oil in a truck? Nope. You've never done that? Nope. Great. Come on over. So I taught them how to change oil in a truck. Toyota pickup. That's where the people go after they've been to the Dodge dealership. They go to the Toyota dealership. <laughs> all right. So anyways, I had them come over, and I said, well, look, all right, open the hood. Showed them how to open the hood and basically taught them how to change oil. And then I had a little Bible lesson with them. All right? Well, that's just help me out discipleship. Get somebody to come over and help you out. Uh, when our son was dating his then-girlfriend, he's now married to her, 
he kept saying to us, hey, do you like April? And we're like, well, you know, we don't know, son. We've just met her. We don't know much about her. Um, Denise said, hey, honey, we have got to get rid of these juniper bushes. Like our whole yard was lined with juniper bushes. I said, all right, well, let's pick a Saturday and we're going to remove all these juniper bushes. And then we thought, hey, Jordan's got a girlfriend. Hey, Jordan, we'd really like you to help us with those juniper bushes. And you know what? You keep asking us if you like April. Invite April to come over and help out. We're having family work day. He did. And she works. And afterwards we said, we like her. <laughs> and he married her. And she, she's a worker. And we're like, hey, this is a good test, son. Seriously. I mean, a good test is like, is she afraid of hard work? And she was not afraid. Put the gloves on. Denise was the only one that left that day. Pretty, you could, like a really bad rash from Juniper's that day. But yeah, this is like, help me out discipleship. Number seven. This is my favorite form. Dirt biking discipleship. Literally, you know, when I got my first dirt bike about 10 years ago, and I was a new, a new rider then, I prayed that somehow I could use this for ministry. And I am not lying. Within about the first two months, I met a guy on a dirt bike. His name is Jim Javernick. He runs Frank's Meats out on the Mesa in Pueblo. And we started riding together. And, and we got to know each other through that. And he said, oh, he said, I'm a Christian too. And he said, I would love to learn to preach. And I said, I spent nine years in Russia teaching men how to preach. And I said, I, and I, not I, that I'm some great preacher, but I learned something from that. And I said, if you want to meet together on a regular basis, I will teach you how to preach. He said, yes. So we started riding dirt bike. And as, when we were done riding, I would give him the next lesson. He is now pastoring a small church in San Isabel during the summers. It's awesome. I was like, thank you, God. Right now, I have three guys from Woodland Park that I am taking through the book of Romans. We go dirt biking together, and then we go out for a cup of coffee, and so far we've done three chapters. It was great. I offered, I said, hey, I have a thing that I do to go through the book of Romans in 10 lessons. Let's go through three, three lessons, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and if you're willing, we'll still meet after that. The one guy's not a believer, and he's open to it. That doesn't have to be dirt biking. It can be golf. If you like golf? I mean, who, who like, does anybody like golf? Uh, why would anybody hit a white ball and run after it? Hit a white ball and run after it. I'm picking. <laughs> I've golfed. I've enjoyed it. You know, I've gotten some enjoyment. But Denise will never go with me again. That's a whole other story. So we don't do golf discipleship. All right. But bottom line. Did you hear what he said? No. It's better than breaking bones, but dirt bike. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'll, my day's coming, I'm sure, for golf. <laughs> when I get old. Oh, shut it's tough. It's a tough crowd. You told me it'd be tough here. It is a rough <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number eight. And I better, should I wind up here? No, you're fine. Okay. Number eight. Skills sharpening discipleship. Uh, this is simply meet for the purpose of working on a ministry skill. Um, I will meet with guys if they say, hey, I've been asked to do a devotional. I don't know how to do that. Great. Let's work on that. Um, parenting skills. Right? You know, we've parented our kids and there's proof in the pudding. Wisdom is known by our children. Our children are doing great. They're walking with Christ and they have lots of skills. And I've had, we've had parents, fewer than we would like, parents ask for advice. Uh, if you're a young parent, like I don't, any really young parents in here? I don't know if any really young parents, like your kids are super little. Okay. You know, you should be, you should be observing older saints in the church and observing whose parenting you respect and you should be going to them for discipleship. Like, I really, I truly do not understand why there are young people in church with small children whose children are totally out of control. Why are they not going to the older saints and saying, help me with my kids? But they don't. Even though we coerce and we cajole and we exhort and we encourage and we offer, hey, you want some help with these kids? No. You know, you need help with those kids. I know. You want help with those kids? No. Okay. Skill sharpening discipleship, number eight. And you who are older, look, you have skills. And it could, be, it could be golf skills. It could be repair skills. It could be guitar skills, musical instrument skills. But then use it for not just teaching the skill, but teaching them to observe what Christ has commanded. So you could say, look, we're going to work on guitar, but we're also going to do a proverb a week. Or we're going to do something out of Christ's life and ministry a week. Or we're going to pray together once a week. Number nine, concordance discipleship. When I first became a Christian, of course, I had no idea about anything. I was a brand new Christian, 27 years old, and I realized that I didn't know anything. And the pastor at that time, a man named Pastor Lusk, he said, well, he said, 
you know, what is something that you know? I said, uh, like, what are you talking about? What's something that you feel like you, you have a grasp of? Like, you have a, do you know real estate? No, I don't know real estate. I said, I know money. I had a master's degree in finance and I was making good money and I had learned a lot about money and investing. And he said, oh, that's perfect. He said, I want you to study what the Bible says about money. And I said, does it say anything? He said, yeah. So he showed me how to use a concordance. And he said, look up wealth, gold, silver, riches, mammon, a bunch of other words, right? He gave me all these words. He showed me how to use a concordance. And I said, okay. So I was off and running, finding that the Bible has a ton to say about money, like all over the place. So I was like looking it up and spent weeks. And I came back and I said, wow, Pastor Lusk, I can't believe how much the Bible has to say about money. He said, great. Now I want you to share that with somebody. I said, uh, who? Well, anybody. I'm like, well, who? He said, I don't know. He said, you know, if you want to come, we've got a small youth group. If you want to come, you could talk to them about what you've learned about money from the Bible. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Just come and tell them what you've learned about money from the Bible. Okay. So I sat down with the youth and, you know, hey, you've got 15 minutes. Did you know what the Bible says this? Look at, listen to this verse. And, oh, and it says this. Listen to this verse. And I just read verses. That's all I did. I was tiptoeing into preaching, (laughs) right? Study what the Bible says about blank and share it with somebody else. That's good discipleship. It's a great way for you to just somebody new, hey, tell me something you already know or tell me something you're struggling with or tell me something you'd like to research. Give them a concordance, Rodney White. You know, we had a guy come, as soon as I became pastor at New Life Bible Church, this guy named Rodney White called the church looking for money. I said, well, come on over. He lived right beside the church. Come on over. He told me about his money problems. I mean, long story short, he told me about his money problems. I preached the gospel to him, and he came to Christ. Praise God. So then I started discipling Rodney. He got baptized, right, a year later. I started meeting with him for discipleship, and I said, Rodney, what's, what's something that you would like to understand better? He said, I don't really understand prayer. Great. I got him a concordance. I showed him how to use a concordance. And I said, look at prayer. Look up thanksgiving. Look up praise. And we started working on how to do, you know, a word study. All right, well, okay, Rodney didn't like take off with that. He didn't say, oh boy, I want to teach or anything. But he learned from that that the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. Super simple. Number 10, pure milk discipleship. All right, um, do I have time for another quick role play? Is there anyone here who's a pretty new believer? Like you're a Christian, but you're pretty new. Five years, less than five years old in Christ. Anybody? Nobody? All right, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. All, right, okay. All right, so this is, come on up, what's your name? Gavin. Gavin, cool, I'm John. Awesome. So when I meet with guys for discipleship, we pray together, you know, we'll talk, and I won't do that part now, you know, how's it going, what's new, where have you been, how's the week going, et cetera, et cetera. And then I role play, okay? So we're going to role play. All right. So, hey, thanks for meeting with me to disciple me. And I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time. As you know, I'm totally new at this thing. Um, So the question I have for you is like, when I'm reading my Bible, I'm not getting anything out of it. Like some stuff is easier. But so my reading for today was Numbers 14. And it says... All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried out, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said, oh, if only we died in the land of Egypt, if only we died in the wilderness. And I keep reading, and I'm like, I just want to fall asleep. What's your version? Uh, it's New King James. <laughs> yeah, that's it, New King James. That's your problem. Wow. Okay. Well, actually, what version do you like? Uh, I read the ESV. Yeah, I actually read it in that, too, and it said the same thing. Okay. <laughs> So, so, yeah. So, here's my question. Here's my, here's my specific question. I'm not getting anything out of my Bible reading. And my question to you is, like, what am I supposed to get out? Is there something I'm supposed to get out of reading my Bible? So, and yeah. What, is, uh, what am I supposed to get out of it? You're supposed to get uh, knowledge. Knowledge. Okay. So, if I get, like, I got knowledge. I got the knowledge that the congregation lifted up their voices. I got the knowledge that they complained against Moses and Aaron. And I got the knowledge that they want to go back to Egypt. So I got that knowledge, like, that's, is that what I'm supposed to get? Because I thought, man, that's like people in a land far away, long, long ago. I'm never, you know, maybe one day I'll meet them. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. Have you tried Google? 
<laughs> no, like, am I, is that what I'm supposed to get out of my poverty is Google? <laughs> Not an answer. You're good. You're good. Have a seat. Thank you. All right. Now, listen. Hey, so no, all kidding aside, many people do not know what exactly they're supposed to get out of their Bibles. I don't know if all of you know. And can you show someone that for sure that is what you are supposed to get out of the Bible? And when I meet with guys for discipleship, even sometimes older guys, that's lesson one. And I say, hey, you know, I'm just not sure what to get out of the word and I'm not getting anything out of it. And if they'll say like knowledge and I'll say, we're well, supposed to get like a lesson. And I'll go, like, well, where does it say that that's what we're supposed to get? So open your Bibles right now real quickly to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And then I tell whoever I'm discipling, I, I say to them, listen, for the rest of your life, and listen, brother, for the rest of your life, you will know how to answer this question and you'll know where the answer is, okay? In 1 Peter 2, 2 is the answer. And for the rest of your life, you will know what it is that God commands you to get out of his word. 1 Peter 2, 2 says this, like newborn babies desire, that's a command, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow thereby. Here's a command from Jesus Christ through the apostle Peter of what he wants you to want from the word. What does he want you to want from the word? Pure milk, which is a metaphor for truth. The answer is truth. What you're to get out of the Bible is eternal truth. So when you read Numbers 14 and you take this disciple back there and say, watch, you know, I will show you how we draw pure milk out of the word of God. And every time you read it, that's what you're going in here for. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And I say, all right, who were Moses and Aaron? Leaders of God's people. Do leaders of God's people ever have people complain against them? Yes. Who's complaining? The children of Israel. These are the people of God. Do the people of God ever complain against their leaders? Yes, that's a truth, right? The truth is that even the people of God sometimes complain against their leaders. The truth is, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, the people of God may complain against you. Now, once you have that truth, okay, and let's just take, take it that even the people of God sometimes complain against their leaders, what you do with that truth now is you start asking questions. When do they complain? Why do they complain? What does the leader do with that complaint? How does God view the complaining? And then you go back to the text and all the answers are there. It totally opens the text up now, right? We're going to talk this morning about complaining. Namely, complaining by the people of God against their spiritual leaders. Open your Bibles to Numbers 14. Here we see the Spirit of God showing us that the people of God complain against their spiritual leaders. The same thing happens today. That's why we have command in Philippians that says, do all things without grumbling and complaining, right? And so now we're going to see what is the nature of complaining? Why did they complain here? It was because of their circumstances. What did they do? They blamed the leaders for the circumstances. Does that ever happen today? Yes. How did the leaders respond? They prayed. What's the application for us? Beloved, look at how God views their complaining. He views it as complaining against him. All complaining by God's people against their spiritual leaders, God views as complaining against him. Now, that doesn't mean that you would never have a legitimate complaint. In that case, you would go to your spiritual leader and say, listen, especially if you're confronting them in sin, right? So what are we to get from God's word? Pure milk. What is pure milk? A metaphor for truth. And we need to learn to draw truth, and it's all over the place. Literally hundreds of thousands of truths in every chapter. But people need to be taught that. That's discipleship. And many people do not know what they're to get out of their Bible reading or how to get it. Once you teach them, man, they are off and running. They're like, wow, I didn't know that's what I was supposed to get. Truth, eternal truth that applies to my life today. Pure milk discipleship is when you meet with somebody for the express purpose of drawing out truth from God's word and trying to apply it to your life. All right, number 11 is 30-30 discipleship. That's what I do. I do 30-30 discipleship. I have a list of 30 topics that is put out by the navigators. It's nothing magical about the list of topics. It's in a book called The Lost Art of Disciple Making by Leroy Ames, E-I-M-S. Excellent book that would give you lots more detail on discipleship. 
I have taken that list of 30 topics, I've made it my own, and with every topic, I have one main scripture. And what I do is I sit down with somebody and I say, listen, if you would be willing, I'd like to meet with you for 30 weeks. If you can only meet every other week, it's going to be 60 weeks, so a little over a year. And I'd like you to take you through this list of 30 topics, and it's stuff like prayer, you know, discipleship, uh, giving, um, lordship, what is lordship, uh, humility, reading God's word, memorizing, memorizing God's word, meditating on God's word, studying God's word, loving the brethren, uh, communion, etc., etc. Right? It's a list of 30 topics that's in that book. And I say, if you're willing, we'll meet for 45 minutes a week. I'll do a role play each time. And you will learn specific answers to specific questions and specific verses in scripture that by the time we're done, you're going to have 30 topics with 30 verses in the Bible that address those topics and an answer to a key question in every one of them. That's how I like to do discipleship, mainly, right? Then after we do that for discipleship, then it's like discipling them into leadership. How can they serve in the church? How can they be useful to God's kingdom here? All right, I gave you 11 ways to do discipleship. And number 12, your own idea. And there's so many ideas. We were just talking the other night, I think, about Got Questions Discipleship. What is that? Well, there's a great ministry in Springs called gotquestions.org. You can Google gotquestions.org, and you can type in almost any question you've got, and they've got a good, solid biblical answer there. Smartphone app, too. Smartphone app, yeah. So you can say, hey, let's meet, and let's just go over, and I think they have a list of the top 20 questions ever asked. Let's just meet for 20 weeks and go over the top 20 questions asked on gotquestions.org and read those articles and talk about it. Super simple. What are we doing? Right? We're seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. How? Teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us by whatever means works. There's no, this is, the way that you do this is in the realm of Christian liberty. So the best thing for you to do with what you've heard tonight, what you've heard the last two nights, is think through various ways that you might be involved in one-on-one discipleship Come to your own conviction about what you think would work for you and get involved. If you've never had someone disciple you, go to see Pastor Jeremy or Pastor Ryan and say, you know, I've never had anyone disciple me. Do you think there's anyone in the church who'd be willing to meet with me for discipleship? Great. If you've never discipled anyone one-on-one, but you're willing and able to do that, see Pastor Jeremy, see Pastor Ryan and say, I've never discipled somebody, but I've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Do you know of anyone who would be wanting to meet with somebody for one-on-one discipleship? And get a hold of somebody. I'm telling you, it is a blessing. One of the greatest joys I've had in my church is discipling men for the past 13 years. I mentioned to you last night that a guy came to my house and said, man, the one thing I've not been doing in my ministry, he's been doing all this other stuff. He said, the one thing I haven't been doing is discipling men. And I said, wow. Wow. I have not been doing all this other stuff that you've been doing about the only thing I've been doing is discipling men. Well, that's not quite true. I preach and teach and so forth, and I visit and I do counseling, but mainly my focus outside of Sunday school and teaching Bible study and preaching is one-on-one discipleship with the men in my church. You know why? Because that's how I reach the youth. That's how I reach the kids. That's how I reach the young adults. That's how I reach the wives. And the ladies in our church are commanded in Titus 2, the older women are commanded to teach the young women. That's on them. But the older women have an obligation to do discipleship with younger women. Right? So I want to be an example in this for others. All right. Questions? Objections? Yes? I do. Uh, I actually recommend the New American Standard Bible. And a great mentor in my life who discipled me is Dr. Robert Thomas. And so if you Google Dr. Robert Thomas, New American Standard Concordance, I don't think there's any better than that one. It is exhaustive. It's big. It's, it, it's weighty. You could use it. You could double it as lifting weights because it's so heavy. But it's a great concordance. But Strong's is the most well-known one, so Strong's Concordance. But you need to get a concordance that goes with your Bible translation. So if you have an ESV, you need an ESV concordance. If you have a King James, you need a King James concordance. That Dr. Robert Thomas one is only for the New American Standard Bible. Other questions? How many of you have done one-on-one discipleship? Quick show of hands. Great. Praise the Lord. Um, How many of you have been discipled one-on-one by someone else in your lifetime? 
Great. Anybody that's never been disciple one-on-one and you've never done that with anyone else? Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, the kids, you're being discipled, I guarantee you. <laughs> Your day will come. Yeah. The, the number one very best environment for this is the home. There's no greater opportunity for making disciples than when your kids are in the home, right? You never get that much time. So the second best is probably grandkids if they live close. Mine don't live close. And third best is people that you have a relationship with in the church. And I think, Rob, you had said, you need to build a relationship with people. So you know what the greatest path is to being more involved in discipleship? Is show up to everything you can show up to at church. Be the man, be the woman who shows up. You're there at Sunday school, you're there at church, you're there at Sunday night service, you're there at prayer group, you're there at Bible study. Show up to everything. You will have plenty of opportunities for discipleship. All right, well, my desire for you, the Russians are always big on, you know, my pajelanya. My desire for you, all of you, is that you will, to the extent that you are able, with the strength that God supplies, right? Colossians 1.29, Paul says, to this end I labor, striving according to the, the strength that God supplies. My desire for all of you is that to the degree that God gives you strength and ability, that you will invest your life in other people. You do not want to get to the end of your life and say, you know what? I squandered the opportunity. I missed it. I did not invest in other people. That opportunity is right in your church, right? Learn to fish in church. You have people around you in church every Sunday who would love to meet with someone else for discipleship. And a caution. Never let one-on-one discipleship become... A gossip session, a complaint session, a talking about others and running them down session. Focus on having a Bible open, praying, and you're on a mission. The mission is to make disciples. Amen? Amen. I'm not going to rush out when we're done. If you have questions, if you have personal questions, please feel free to see me. Brother, you coming up? And thank you for letting me be here. I've enjoyed it. This is what I love to do. Amen. So if you meet one-on-one and talk about the sermon, it's not a gossip time. It's not...